This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman and woman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter. Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks. Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O. It is hardcore. So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat in 3, available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, you're listening to Heritage Radio Networks, and this is Eat Your Words. I'm your host, Kathy Uraway. And today, we are going to be talking about the industrialized food system. I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, like, okay, you know, I got this. Industrialized food is bad. Support small farms, farmers markets, CSAs. I'm good. Or, you know, maybe you consider yourself a more well-read foodie. Um, Maybe you've read the works of journalists like Michael Pollan or... Um, Maren McKenna, who uh, was actually on the show a few months ago talking about her book, Big Chicken. Or maybe you're up to speed on chemicals that have entered our food system. Um, maybe you've read the works of Carrie Gilliam, who was also on the show a few weeks, uh, a few months ago. But um, I'm holding a book right now that, um, you know, even though I consider myself fairly astute about these topics, um, this book really blew my mind several times over. And... Um, in a good way, in a bad way, in all sorts of ways. <laughs> but um, I, I think it might blow your mind as well. Um, it is called Formerly Known as Food, How the Industrial Food System is Changing Our Minds, Bodies, and Culture. Uh, its author is Kristen Lawless, and she's joining us right now on the line. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Kathy. Hey, so you're, you're based in Brooklyn, right? So you're not too far from us right now. I am. I'm, I'm here in Park Slope. Cool. And uh, I understand you're there with a new person that you recently <laughs> gave birth to, so congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I have a five-month-old, which is why I'm not in the studio with you. I, I'd love to be, but things are more complicated when you have a little baby. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, congratulations on the very brave, <laughs> seeming, after reading your book, a very brave and bold move of having a baby <laughs> in this I know, world. I know. Um, uh, I I gotta go out here on a limb here, and uh, I'm gonna guess you're probably not using formula for <laughs> instead of breast milk. Yes, you are 100% correct about that. Yeah, because well, that's one of the topics you discuss in the book, um, and uh, it seems to be emblematic of a lot of ways that the food system. Uh, what do I say? Big food, you know, has um, created many products. to emulate natural things. Right. That's a, that's a big theme in your book. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, infant formula is like basically the first processed food. M- many babies 
you know, get. So they're being introduced to a product that has only been recently part of our food supply, um, is significantly, you know, just does not do any of the things that breast milk does for your health. I mean, I, I have quite a lot of research in the book on this. But one of the things that I think is most problematic about infant formula is its process nature, which means it has kind of a monotonous flavor profile. You don't get the huge variety of flavor that comes through in breast milk because whatever the mother eats, those flavors come through mm-hmm. in the milk. And so the baby gets exposed to all of that, and it helps shape his or her palate as they grow up and seems to have an effect on whether or not they're going to want to eat those kinds of foods once they are old, or old enough to eat. Great. <laughs> that's going to be fun for the parents. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, that's just one thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a whole chapter also on the microbiota, which is the, the bacteria that's in the gut. It's on our bodies. It's everywhere. It appears to be crucial for long-term health. And breast milk contains um, these key components for feeding a healthy microbiota. And so if mm-hmm. you don't get that, because they're really not in infant formula, They'll say that they put a few strains here and there, but they're not the specific kinds of strains that the baby needs. Mm -hmm. And so that is another thing that is severely compromised from day one. From day one, and then from day two and three and four and so on, because you write about how milk, you know, you wrote that, you know, milk was this living, breathing organism full of healthy bacteria. Right. Before, when it was in a glass bottle that you picked up, you know. Um, but nowadays, not only is it not in glass, meaning it's probably wrapped in, or, you know, it's contained in plastic. Right. That's problematic because of the chemicals that leach into it. That's right. Uh, and what about the cardboard? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing. There's so many chemicals that are in food packaging. And in mm-hmm. fact, we really don't even know what all of them are and what they do to our bodies. But for one, you know, like plastic milk bottles, obviously problematic. We know that plastic has, for example, BPA, or sometimes it's a BPA replacement chemical. We know that that is a chemical that interferes with the hormonal system, um, known as an endocrine-disrupting chemical. But even for, like, kind of cardboard packaging you get, a lot of times it's lined with uh, with a resin that is like a plastic derivative. And so those also have these hormonally active substances, and we don't quite know what they're doing. And of course, we're taking them all in in combination all the time. Um, actually, you're, one of your chapters called So Many Tips of the Iceberg um, right. scared me the most <laughs> um, yeah. because you talk about endocrine disruptors. So this is, let, let's um, help me understand that a little bit. So you're talking about a broad category of chemicals, which are called, what do they have in common? And what, is, what does it mean to disrupt the endocrine? Why are they called endocrine disruptors? So the endocrine system is the the hormonal system in our body, and it actually is responsible for nearly everything that happens in the body. It's like brain development, Mm -hmm. um, fertility, sexual development, um, I mean, you name it, metabolic function, and hormones are affected by it. So when we take in these endocrine disrupting chemicals, Many of them are, are, they are mimics in the sense they mimic other hormones. So like BPA, which I mentioned, uh, one of the most notorious, and and mostly just because it's the one that's studied the most, Mm. um, that chemical mimics the hormone estrogen in the body. So what happens is it basically goes to these cell receptor sites, which would be affected naturally by the natural hormone estrogen, but in fact these chemicals have that kind of effect on the cell and, and create this whole cascade of 
biological processes that we're learning are really problematic for things that I mentioned, like fertility and uh, sexual development. Mm. But also obesity and metabolic syndrome, because it's, it's one of the chemicals that they, some scientists call an obesogen, mm. meaning that um, what they've shown in the laboratory is with uh, rats, I think it's rats or mice, when you feed these, the animals BPA, they are gaining weight regardless of caloric intake. So it doesn't matter how much food they're eating, but rather the chemical is affecting their metabolic system and it's making them be overweight or obese. Wow. And, and um, one of the other shocking um, studies that you note in the book is that, you know, due to a recent study on endocrine disruptors and how they're affecting the, the quality and quantity of sperm these days. Right. Um, researchers found the sperm count in 2017, uh, a, research, uh, a report found that the sperm count in Western men had dropped 59% since right. 1973. I know. And so if the trends continue by the year 2060, the majority of men in the United States and Europe will be infertile. <laughs> That's uh, shocking, okay, right? Okay, <laughs> doomsday. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and again, um, these are things that we're just starting to kind of understand. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, right. there's thousands of them in the food supply. And, you know, after talking to all these researchers, they, uh, they always emphasize the fact that, like, we can only study what we know. Yeah. And so they don't, Jeez. it's not like as if they can just take a, like, a sample from someone and find out what is that in this person's body and what's it doing. They can only look for what they know. And right now, the knowledge base is very limited. So we just don't know what's going on. But for the ones that we do know, it looks like right. really problematic. I really mean, problematic. from every kind of disorder, ranging all the way to brain disorders like autism and Alzheimer's and, and, and various cancers. And then there's a whole group of chemicals that are coming into our food supply that haven't been studied too well, too. So that's not a, not a really great right. Uh, realization. Right. Um, uh, where did we go from here? So... <laughs> Well, how did we get here? Okay, um, you know, you, you write about how the industrialized food system, you know, whether it's whether you first encounter it with uh, formula or or chicken nuggets, um, something like that. You know, this is you know relatively new to how mm-hmm. people were eating, maybe a hundred years ago, or wh- where you think is the line between you know when everything started to fall apart. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it looks like about 75 to 100 years, I would say. So post-war. Is, yeah, that's okay. the time frame, because that was really when the introduction of all these chemicals came into the food supply and really changed all of agriculture. Mm-hmm. And you said, you noticed that the, you know, you mentioned that the food industry giants, like we call collectively big food, right? So companies like Nestle and so forth. Right. Um, they've infiltrated our sources for science and nutrition. Right. Um, you're right. In fact, that, that the study of nutrition in itself is sort of a byproduct of industrialized food system. Like right. we didn't have that idea of studying nutrition before, which is really interesting. Right. I mean, because you think about it, before the industrialization of the food supply, we all just ate what was around us in our environment, and what was around us in our environment was just actual whole foods, because that's, that's all there was. Mm. Um, the knowledge and wisdom around food, and whether it was like hunting or foraging, preparing, cooking, whatever it was, farming, was passed on through the generations. And that, with industrialization, just completely, almost completely vanished to the point now 
where, you know, people don't even know how to cook. And when you think about that, it's something that's so key to our survival, they can't even figure out how to cook food, and it's because the industry has allowed it, allowed us to just rely on its products. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, there's, there's, they've created certain groups of so-called trusted sources of information for this, like right. American Health, uh, American Heart Association, the American right. Nutrition Diet Association, um, something. And it's the, it's the um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Right. Right. So, you know, in both these cases, it, you, with, like, for, let's talk about the American Heart Association, which most people think is like this independent group of doctors and right. researchers. They provide public health information. But if you just like look on their website, it's, it's all right there. There's dozens of corporate sponsors from Monsanto Fund to Walmart to Subway to you know, Coca-Cola, General Mills. I mean, the list goes on. And the American Heart Association has been endorsing processed foods, especially low-fat, low-salt, uh, low, you know, high-fiber, all these things that are just because they are profitable for the food industry. So you're not going to see a health claim on a natural whole food, but on a box of cereal, you're going to see all those things. It's going to, like, hit all the marks. And then the American Heart Association is going to put their check mark on the box, and consumers look at that and they think, oh, this is a healthy food. The American Heart Association says so, when, in fact, you know, wow. when, you know we, I talk about a lot about in the book how much of the research that, that this is based on is not valid anymore and in fact flies in the face of what what scientists are saying and seeing now Mm -hmm. and it's um it's based on some some pretty older studies too this heart you know healthy the the thing that they use to qualify that check mark that apparently you write that you know people recognize that check mark yeah as like you know that's one of the most recognizable symbols of what they perceive to be good health right um wow power of marketing right there (laughs) it's amazing right um <clears throat> I bet you also talk about how the food giants, um, through these organizations or through their own marketing, have managed to portray the food movement or, you know, examples of, you know, I guess the good food movement, sustainable food and as a whole, as an elitist thing. And there's this, like, basically this culture war. And right. they've, like, really, really fanned the flames on them. Right. Yeah, that is a major problem. I I talk a lot about it in the final section of my book where I look at how food culture has shifted uh, as a result of the marketing and brilliant tactics used by the food industry. I I give an example in the book about a McDonald's commercial that was in 2015. Some of you may remember it, where the commercial basically says, it's like a close-up of a Big Mac, and it says, vegetarians and foodies, avert your eyes. There's Aww. no quinoa or soy in here. You know, it's like this whole thing to try to make it sound like people who care about health and quality of the food and where the food came from are these food snobs, uh, elites who um, are just not your everyday average American. And so they appeal to that kind of mentality, and it's it's really worked. Mm-hmm. And what do you think that has, you know, where has that led us today? I mean, have we overcome some of the myths here, or or do you think that that is only continuing to succeed? I think it's still pretty successful. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's sad because the average person kind of views organics and sustainable agriculture with suspicion when, Mm -hmm. in fact, these are actual real things that people, I think everyone has a right to. Um, you know, everyone should have 
access to foods that aren't contaminated with chemicals and healthy, fresh produce and, you know, beef that's, you know, been raised um, sustainably and all these things, they represent real values, but the industry has really managed to subvert that. And I think, you know, to great detriment to our health. Right. And and it, to think that people are being, you know, led by the spin of, of profit-seeking companies towards this is, is really upsetting. Um, right. So you're also a nutritionist, and I want to talk a lot more about your experience in that work and also what we can do as consumers. So we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break, but we'll be right back chatting more. I'm Damon Bolte, co-host of the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everman and woman. This whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in a copper pot still, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso sherry buds. I'm very particular about the whiskeys that I choose to put on my back bar. I like things that go against the grain and I need things to stand out. I need to have a narrative to talk to my customers and my friends and my staff about the different things that we carry. So the next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, like Grain Army or Moria Margo, reach for the Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. Learn more at thesexton.com. All right, and we're back chatting with Kristen Lawless. Um, Kristen, you are the author of Formerly Known as Food, which just came out from St. Martin's Press. Not yet. It'll be out next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. So we're getting a preview here, guys. But um, (laughs) you can also pre-order it, I'm sure. So so you're also, though, in addition to being a journalist, you're a certified nutrition educator. Mm -hmm. Um, So you work as a nutrition consultant. Um, Right. You begin your book with a little anecdote about one such uh, consultancy gig um, where you checked out the fridge of someone and it was a very typical, you know, fridge as, as far as, you know, you write, it's, it was common, but it was filled with products that you say were just misguided examples of healthy eating. Um, mm-hmm. So things like egg beaters, skim milk. I think there was pre-chopped baggies of broccoli yeah, those are the little broccoli florets that you get. They come packaged in bags. You would think the broccoli is okay. What's the problem with that one? <laughs> I mean, I guess bro- it would be lower on the like sort of list of oh, concerning bad. things yeah. in the fridge. But still, my question with the broccoli would be, well, how long has it been sitting there in mm-hmm. the refrigerator? Um, which, you know, when you're talking about, I think the typical the typical time period from like when it's um, transported into a, to a supermarket is at least ten days. Then it goes into your refrigerator. Well, one study that I refer to in the book showed that almost seventy five percent of flavonoids, which are like antioxidants, fifty percent of vitamin C, all these things are completely gone out of gone. the broccoli by the time you actually are going to eat it. So. Ugh. 
this is a problem and this is why, you know, it's important to try to get your food as locally as you can. You know, the broccoli also wasn't organic, so, of course, they're getting exposed also to all those those uh, problematic pesticides, which are also endocrine disruptors. It's also in a plastic bag. Oh we know God. that a lot of plastic packaging leaches right into the food. So, again, there's just so many issues and layers um, that we wouldn't have. So, say, if you went to your farmer, your local farmer, and got broccoli from the field that you then brought home and made that night or the next night. I mean, this is a huge difference in terms of what you're getting, not only in exposure, but just like nutrient density. Right, right. So nutrient density is something that happens, not, not to mention flavor. It's probably better right. tasting, right? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, um, I think when you think about it, I think I give the example in the book of a tomato in December in the supermarket. If you <laughs> ever had one, it, it tastes horrible. And no wonder people are like, oh, I don't like tomatoes. Well, like, mm-hmm. You know, compare that with going to your homegrown tomato in your backyard and, like, eating it right off the vine. It's, like, so delicious. And I think this is another reason so many people think they don't like vegetables is because they just aren't getting quality vegetables like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is um, skipping ahead a little bit, but I really wanted to get to this because you do have criticisms of the food movement as we know it. And it's not enough, you write, to just sort of pat yourself on the back by going to your farmer's market and shopping or getting a CSA. Like I was, I was feeling quite smug <laughs> myself. I was like, yeah, I'm getting so many more nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, can I uh, read from a, a little passage here? Oh yeah. You know, you write the food movement, um, the opposition to the industrial food system that has taken shape in America has no remedy for glaring disparities across racial class and cultural lines. The food movement solutions often mirror the food industry's mantra of personal responsibility and consumer choice, which completely skirts the industrial, the institutionalized and systemic lack of access to healthy whole foods for large segments of the population. And even those who follow the advice of the food movement and buy organic or shop at farmers markets cannot escape the pervasive and largely unregulated toxic ingredients in the food supply, nor can consumer-based solutions address the ways our modern diet is changing our bodies, leading to the staggering rates of diet-related disease, suffering, and death. Um, what should we do? <laughs> I know it's it's um, overwhelming, and it's not. These are not easy mm-hmm. questions to answer. Um, but like these get to these underlying societal issues that we need to address, and one of them is economic inequality, um, a culture of overwork, people working longer hours for less pay, no time to cook. Um, we talked about the skill, no right. skill, knowing how to cook. So when you just tell someone. You know, especially someone who doesn't have a lot of money, works around the clock, maybe has kids to feed, and you're telling them, oh, just, you know, go to your farmer's market and come home and cook your kids a nice, whole, organic meal. Uh, that's basically, I mean, to me, I think it's almost insulting to try to say that to someone when you know what they're up against. And that's why the, the kind of solutions I'm talking about in the book, and I think we all need to be really thinking carefully about are these larger societal Mm -hmm. issues. So we need to be thinking about why do people have to work so much for so little pay? Why do do people not have the skill anymore to cook at home? And, um, you know, a lot of the burden often falls on the mom and, you know, a lot of single moms, moms who are working and taking care of kids. So some things that I'm really passionate about are we need paid maternity leave. Yeah. You know, we need, need, um, I mean, I think public health starts in the home and we need 
women at home with their babies, if you want to be able to breastfeed, you have to be able to afford it. A lot of women mm-hmm. want to breastfeed, but they can't because they have to work. So, I mean, right. these are things, and, and, and this is, that's not radical. I mean, every other country in the world almost um, yeah. guarantees paid maternity leave or parental leave, and our country doesn't. So that's just one example of yeah. the kind of shifts in the society that we're going to need. So it's a lot of big and small changes to, to really change this paradigm that right. we're living in right now. Um, talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about some current events. Um, Bayer recently bought Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was completed. And, uh, I don't know if you heard, but they're going to phase out the name Monsanto. Right. Of course so. they are, because now <laughs> the name Monsanto has been, you know, basically taken over by activists and people who are anti-GMO and it's become you know, the boogeyman, Monsanto. The boogeyman. So right. they want to sweep it under the rug, right. tidy so now up their it's image. Right, be bare, which most people, I think, don't necessarily know. No. You know. But, I mean, I feel like that's our job now is to make everyone know that, okay, they just changed the name. They didn't change any of their practices. They didn't change what they're doing to our food supply. Right. It was, um, it was a, it's, it's, it's a well-played move, maybe, but let's educate ourselves with right. more books like yours. Um. Okay, what about, uh, what do you think of the EPA currently? <laughs> well, and the EPA our, and, or the FDA are both. Um, well, so currently, you know, your last chapter focuses on the FDA. Um, but we've been hearing so much in the news about the EPA and, right. um, and the chemicals that are, right. that the, the current administration right. is basically giving a pass. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so the EPA regulates things like pesticides, for example, Mm -hmm. all those kinds of chemicals that end up on the food. The FDA regulates food additives, food ingredients. But so obviously the two work together and they oversee broadly the, and also the USDA, they broadly oversee everything that's in the food supply. Um, This, you know, we've, everyone's been talking about Scott Pruitt, and um, of course there's these massive conflicts of interest we're seeing with him coming in to head the APA. But none of that is new. I mean, this has been going on for a very long time. And, you know, I write a chapter on both the FDA and EPA and how the corporate sort of industry influence over the regulatory processes processes has allowed so many bad ingredients and chemicals and things to end up in our food supply, many of which are not tested. You know, we mentioned earlier endocrine disruptors, um, but there's like thousands of them. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, no one's really looking out for the public interest. I like that you say that this is nothing new. But yet there is, I think that, um, you know, for better, for worse, or I don't know, I'd love to get your opinion on this because, you know, since Scott Pruitt has had so many, like, personal scandals, yeah. do you think that that is drawing attention to That's these true. glaring, yeah. you know, longstanding issues with the EPA or distracting? Or well, do you I mean, I think, um, I think just like we see with Trump, where people are becoming more aware of sort of the corruption and, and mm-hmm. in Washington and the level of government. I think it's, like, just totally in our faces now. We can't ignore it. So maybe that's true, and maybe people are going to become, I mean, people should be outraged by this, in my opinion. I mean, I think the fact that we are exposed to so many toxic substances all the time and no one's really protecting us is outrageous. People I know, I mean, now that I have a baby, 
I'm thinking about it all the time because we know that what babies and fetuses in the womb are exposed to has such a profound effect on their lifelong Mm -hmm. health. Um, It's not fair to me. I mean, one of the scientists I interviewed said, uh, I end the book with this, he said, you know, babies born now have over 100 manufactured chemicals in their bodies before they're even in the world. Um, You have to ask, what does that say about our society? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, your book is really like a cautionary tale for a lot of the innovations that the food system has created or industrialized food system has created, like trans fat. Um, it sounds like this was somewhat of a success story um, to get trans fat, the truth of trans fat out there um, and um, recognize it as a not so healthful option. Well, I mean, it's a success story that took nearly a century. Right. So... Yeah. I mean, like, for example, yeah, with trans fats, um, they told us we should be eating those in place of things like butter. butter. Lard. Lard. Yeah. You know, traditional <clears throat> fats that people have been eating forever. They said we're causing heart attack, heart disease, other cardiovascular issues. So they said eat trans fats instead. The food industry put it in everything. We all ate it. Oh, whoops, it causes heart <laughs> disease. I mean, this is like a complete, I mean, it just shows you how, how little we really know, and, mm-hmm. we, and industry sort of jumps on stuff and then makes profit out of it. Uh, I think Walter Willett at Harvard said it was the biggest public health disaster, like, ever. So um, hundreds of thousands of people likely harmed by trans fats in the food supply. But, you know, again, it's just one example. This is a huge and fascinating, like, history that you go through in your book. But I want to bring that up because what about the innovations that are going on today? And there are many. And these, you know, innovation always kind of seems good and flashy at, you know, at first, mm-hmm. just like I'm sure Transfat did, even right. though it wasn't like, right. hey, guys, there's this thing called Transfat. It was just like, you know, hey, this isn't lard. Um, <laughs> right. Um, it was like, I can't believe it's not lard or butter. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, what do you think about some, some of the newfangled products that are coming on the market today? What about... The Impossible Burger. Any thoughts on that? It's yeah, I'm, glorified. I'm not a fan. As this... I mean, you might imagine that I wouldn't be a fan, but I was trying to figure out what's in it, and it's a little <laughs> bit hard to find out. But yeah. I do know that even the FDA, who we've just said doesn't really do all that much, had questions about its safety. And this gets to another issue with the FDA, which is this this idea. It's called this um, concept called generally. Um, generally regarded or recognized as safe. Um, basically, Impossible Burger was trying to get it approved in that sense by the FDA. Mm-hmm. FDA had a bunch of questions. Right. What happened was the company then just withdrew it. They right. withdrew trying to get approval and just started marketing it right away. And this happens countless times across um, okay. the Okay, because they don't have to, right? What's that? They don't have to get it approved. No, apparently. it's a voluntary designation. And in... Some people, some companies want it because then they can say it's FDA approved. But the problem is, is that they can just not do that. And so only the only entity testing the safety of the food is the company itself. And when I asked the FDA about this, they just said, well, we believe it's the manufacturer's responsibility to ensure the safety of its own products. Mm-hmm. So and I don't think most people realize that. I think most <laughs> consumers would think that no. whatever's in the food is being tested yes. by some independent third party that's making sure it's okay for us to eat but it's, that's not the case yeah i mean that's well, that's wild to me it is um so you know i think that there's a lot of current relevance you know that from the examples that you bring up of of the foods that we've been developed and 
you know, in the past and we found fault with them today that we can um, use to kind of put a more critical light on, on some of the new food innovations. Um, there's so much to talk about, but it looks like that's all the time we have to talk. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I can't thank you enough, Kristen. Oh, thanks, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I hope... Um, you know, I hope that was, um, you have a lot of good, <laughs> I hope everyone knows that there's a lot of like positive lights, especially, you know, towards the end of this book, right. um, you know, and then obviously, you know, knowledge is always just important and vital to, to continuing on, you know, in your food choices, but. Right. I mean, that's what I was, you know, my intention in writing this book is first of all, make people aware of what's going on, but then mm-hmm. also. I think once you have the knowledge, it can be empowering. And so I end the book with a chapter on what are we going to do that's going to make these real changes and not these more superficial ones like you mentioned, like, oh, just go buy organic, but actual, like, societal shifts that are going to make it so everyone has access to these kinds of foods because that's just a basic human right. Right. Um, Well, I hope everyone gets their hands on Formerly Known as Food, which is just about to come out. And I can't thank you enough, Kristen, for the wonderful sneak preview and for chatting with us. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks so much, Kristen. Thanks everyone at Heritage, and we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.